أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسلمنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد so last week we finished the chapter about the imam being the imamat the imamate you know leading the prayer there was we finished a chapter from the book there is in the commentary a small addendum to that chapter that i wanted to start today's uh, dars by reading uh, before we start the next chapter this is khatima qad taqaddama fi bab bab sifat al amali fi salati anna al matluba bi ifr al salat al mafruda dhikr amma al ishtighal bi duaa'i ziyadatan ala dhalika fa qala innahu bid'atun lam yarid bihi عَمَلٌ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَلَا عَنِ السَّلَفِ الصَّالِحِ وَلِذَا قَالَ الْقَرَافِيُ كَرِهَ مَالِكٌ جَمَاعَةٌ عَظِيمَةٌ بِسَبَبْ جَمَاعَةٌ مِنَ وَجَمَاعَةٌ مِنَ الْعُلَمَاءِ عَفْوًا لِأَيَّمَةِ الْمَسَاجِدِ وَالْجَمَاعَاتِ الدُّعَاءِ عَقِبَ الصَّلَوَاتِ الْمَكْتُوبَةِ جَهْرًا لِلْحَاضِرِينَ So uh, we mentioned uh, in the um, the description of the prayer uh, and we went over that also in this darsa as well that uh, it's it's recommended that a person should sit for the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala in, uh, after the the, the farther prayer mashallah and so uh, 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 the the commentator Nafrawi mentions as for uh, as for taking that time uh, up with uh, 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 dua uh, on top of that, he said that it's a bid'ah, it's a it's a reprehensible innovation uh, that the practice of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam doesn't doesn't indicate, uh, nor does the practice of the um, the the pious predecessors. And for that reason, Al Qarafi rahimahullah taala said that Malik and a group of the ulama. Um, they considered it makruh for the imams of the masajid and the imams of the congregations to make dua after the prayers, uh, uh, after the farther prayers, out loud um, with the with those who are present. So here, uh, and Allah knows best, the the meaning of this is not necessarily that it's a bid'ah or dua, a uh, reprehensible innovation to make dua. But in particular, the set form where everybody makes du'a together in congregation after every single prayer, right? This is actually a practice that is from the east to the west, something very common in the Muslim world. And in pre-modern times, it was, it was, it was almost uh, uh, universal. Um, but, uh, uh, but Malik rahimahullah ta'ala and a number of the ulama, they said it's bid'ah, it's not something that, that the practice of the Prophet ﷺ comes with. If for some reason the people decide to gather and make dua together on some particular occasion, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And if the people make dua separately, it's okay. And in fact, it's mentioned, it's mentioned in the uh, athar that the, the, the maktuba, the, the farth prayer that after it, that's one of the times that du'as are accepted. So people should make du'a separately, individually, but to have a congregational du'a, it's very interesting. Some people, this is unfortunately the problem with not having studied, uh, is that for different people, the deen means different things, uh, and their attachments are, are less intellectual or academic or rational even, and more sentimental and emotional, you know? Uh, so you'll see somebody who will pray, for example, like, 
they'll pray their sunnahs religiously, you know. Like in the Hanafi school, like in total, between the far the sunnah, witr, everything, it comes out to like 17 rak'ahs, right? It's like a taraweeh every night, you know. So they'll pray it religiously, but then they'll miss maghrib. They'll skip asr, you know what I mean? Uh, this is what, this is not a slight against the Hanafi madhab, of course, but it's, it's, a, it's a sign of people, their attachment to the deen not being based on any sort of rational principle, which is fine if you're Christian, because there are things about Christianity that are like mysteries, just shut up and accept them, but Islam is not like that. Rather, uh, Islam without a functioning aql, without a functioning uh, rational faculty, uh, um, you know, it doesn't work. In fact, there are certain things, someone might say, well, there are certain things that are beyond rationality. I go, those things are known to be beyond rationality by rational necessity, right? How is the creation going to understand the creator? It's not possible. Why? Because it's like the, car- the table understanding the carpenter. That's a rational analogy. That's not, that's not just like shut up and accept it, you know? So, uh, uh, yes? Quick question. Uh-huh. Um, for the duas, do we have to do any, um, is it, are there any, uh, Special of uh, before or after that, or you just do it. So yeah, no. Basically, basically uh, the time the du'a is accepted is is uh, after any prayer, and in particular the farther prayer. In particular, the farther prayer. So uh, so you know. Uh, um, so this is an issue that's irrationally some people have an attachment to, and I, I get people oftentimes. Will uh, you know make a fast? How come you didn't do dua afterward and blah blah blah? It's because it's not a sunnah really according to anyone, as far as I can tell. Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of the other madhab. I don't even want to speak on behalf of the Maliki madhab. But at any rate, we read the text that's here. It's very clear what it means. Um, he says that like there is a type of there's a type of greatness or glory uh, that's there for the imam in doing this. Why? Because oftentimes, see, this is important. In general, it's good to sit and hear the du'as of the pious because they know how to they know what to ask for and they know how to ask. And you should learn these things. This is how we learn from them. You know, uh, the ummah learned how to ask Allah from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And even the Prophet learned from Allah how to ask, right? Uh, uh, um, you know, the, the Fatiha, for example, is a praise of Allah Ta'ala that he deserves. Whereas the words of the creation of the praise of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala can never come close to what he deserves. And Rasul Sallallahu himself, this was one of the things that he used to say. He would preface his du'as. He says, he says, uh, he says, لا نحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك. He says, we're not able to encompass any praise of you. Rather, you're the only one who knows how to praise yourself properly. Right? So it's important to do that. However, uh, he said that if you make this like a fixture of like the daily practice of, of the Muslims after every prayer, it makes the imam some sort of like, you know, it gives them a, a type of glory. Why? Because he's between the slave and the, the Lord. He's the one who asked the Lord for the, uh, for the needs uh, and the, 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 those things that benefit the slave. Uh, and so they kind of occupy a niche between, between Allah and between the slaves. Um, but still, it's, it's still makruh. And it's, you know, to seek it for that reason is like really bad. It's not a good thing at all. Thumma qal ibn Naji, 
قلت وقد استمر العمل على جوازه عندنا بإفريقيا وكان بعض من لقيته يصرح بأن الدعاء ورد الحث عليه من حيث الجملة قال تعالى أدعوني أستجب لكم لأنه عبادة فلذا صار تابعا فعله بل الغالب على من ينصب نفسه لذلك التواضع والرقة فلا يهمل أمره بل يهمل أمره بل يفعل وما كل بضعة ضلالة بل هو من البدع الحسنة والاجتماع فيه يورث الاجتهاد فيه والنشاط وأقول طلب ذلك في الاستسقاء ونحوه شاهد شاهد صدق في مرتضاه ابن ناجن ابن ناجي وقال بعض الفضلاء قد انتهى Okay, anyway, so it's a quarter of the book is done. That's what he just, he's going to say in the last sentence. So he said that the counter, counter opinion is Ibn Naji. Uh, he says that this is something that everybody does uh, in, in, in North Africa. And it's not just North Africa, it's really the entire Muslim world, uh, especially in pre modern times. And so he says that, uh, you know, he says that uh, most of the people that, that, that uh, you know, sit and make dua, they don't do it as an act of glory, but they, they uh, seat themselves in great humility and in softness uh, such that it is clear for everyone to see. Uh, and uh, he also says that not every, every like, thing that is not known in the sharia is, is a misguidance. Rather, certain things that... that, that that aren't transmitted from the from from the old generations there's uh there's some goodness in it and uh um you know the 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 of this book um he says that the slatul istisqa the the prayer for rain is a um is an example of when people get together and make dua and there's good for it and uh, ibn naji says in general allah ta'ala says call upon me so that i may answer you I, I disagree with I disagree with uh, uh, with uh, this opinion, uh, and uh, in fact the 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 commentator even though he mentions that he agrees with it, but he also mentions its weakness. Why? Because this is part of the style of writing for fiqh is that when you mention opinions in order, you mention the stronger opinion first and then the weaker opinion later. And so this is an interesting thing that many people, many of the ulama have their own opinions, but they'll suspend them in favor of what the precedent is set on, because that's how law works. Um, and so uh, Allah Ta'ala says, call upon me so that I may answer you. There's always more barakah and more benefit in following the sunnah than there is in following something else. Uh, and so let everybody make dua on their own. And from time to time, the people can get together and make dua. The problem is this, is that if it makes become something to the point where the awam starts to think that this is actually part of deen, which most of them do in many places, then uh, uh, then you know that it's kind of gone beyond its, its regular parameters. And Allah knows best. I don't think this is the, the big problem in the ummah right now. Like if someone does it, you don't have to go and like get into a fist fight with them about it, right? The problem in the ummah is that nobody's even praying in the first place. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but however, uh, oftentimes there are many issues that practically they're not really useful to bring up right now. But in the, in the dars itself, they should be discussed. And people should know what they are. Uh, uh, that this is, not, this, is not a, uh, uh, this is not a sunnah. And there are two issues. Shatibi rahimullah ta'ala, the great usuli, 
uh, scholar. Uh, 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 he was a Maliki as well. That in Andalus he faced wherever he went to, he would say that these things have no asl in the Sharia, and basically people would persecute him for. One is this issue of making du'a in congregation after every single prayer, and the second is the celebrating of the mullah of the Prophet on a particular day. Um, and in an usuli sense, his argument is completely impeccable. And uh, there are many people who, for me, just saying that, they're going to say, oh, this guy's Wahhabi and he's Irhabi and Kababi and Sharabi and God knows, they'll throw every name in the book at me. But that's ilm, you know, that's ilm. That's what, that's what Shatabi said. His maqam amongst the usuliin is known by all of the ulama, and he comes with a good argument. If you don't want to agree with it, that's up to you. But you don't, you know, you don't have the right to just dismiss it offhand. It's not an issue of aqidah or whatever. So, uh, uh, and if it was, Shatabi actually brings the more compelling point than others do. Allahu alam, and Allah Ta'ala knows best. So uh, uh, that's that, that point I wanted to mention because it's something that's relevant to many people. Uh, so, so what about like, so like I've heard that like, that when you make die after you shouldn't raise your, like when you make die after the salah you shouldn't raise your hands, like what's the thing on that? So there's, there's a, uh, about raising hands, there's a couple of things, yeah. right? One is during the salat for the qunut, yeah. right? There's a difference of opinion yeah. amongst the ulama. Malik didn't consider that you should raise your hands in the qunut. Imam Shafi'i did. Yeah. Okay? Amongst the Shafi'is, they say that in the qunut, you raise your hands, but you don't wipe your face afterward. Yeah. But that's only in the qunut. Yeah. The, uh, uh, in general, the Muslims, this is their practice that what? Is that you raise your hands when you're making dua, unless it's particularly not transmitted from sunnah, but in general it is, that you raise your hands like someone who's begging, who's asking, that they should raise their hands as part of the adab of, the, of making du'as, that you raise your hands. And then afterward, it's transmitted from the Prophet wasallam that he would, except with exceptions, but in general he would wipe his face with his hands when he was done with his du'a. This is a hadith of Tirmidhi. Now Ibn Taymiyyah in particular had an objection about this hadith and he considers the wiping the face with the hands not to have a basis in the sharia. And there may be two or three like other major figures in, in the history of Islam that have this opinion. The prepondent majority is against them and the practice of the Muslims is against them. And there's actually a hadith that, that, uh, uh, that's transmitted from the Prophet And I'm not a muhaddith so I don't know what the background is of the whole hadith. But the point is, is that there is a, a preponderant majority of, of, of people who say in general that a person should raise their hands when making dua and then wipe their face thereafter. If somebody feels very strongly about the issue, yeah. right, then let them not wipe their face. And the one who's wiping their face, let them like, leave them alone as well. Yeah. This is one thing, really, there's a, uh, this is ayatul munafiq, you know. Yeah. The hadith of the four signs of munafiq. There's three signs, there's four. So the four signs is hadith. The fourth one is that like when he gets into an argument with someone, he lets the argument go beyond any sort of like rational um, parameters of that disagreement. I remember I was in a masjid one time and uh, uh, some corporate guy, you know, who honestly, uh, it was very ironic. He had a tajweed circle that he used to teach in, and the irony of ironies was his tajweed was absolutely horrible. It was atrocious. Uh, um, and people say, oh, you know, he has ijazah and tajweed. I go, I have ijazah and sahasata. You don't see me walking around like telling people that. You know, like, 
I go, and plus he doesn't know how to recite Quran either. But uh, at any rate, he had his like group of lackeys, uh, uh, a couple of whom were on the board of one of the masajid. He literally grabbed the mic on one night of Ramadan and went on for like half an hour. And he said, this person and that person, this person's opinion, that person's opinion. About what? Wiping, wiping your face uh, after with your hands after the dua. I'm like, dude, the hadith is in Tirmidhi. It's a difference of opinion. Let it go. And he actually, even in his hikayah of the khilaf, he, he mentioned the mentioned wrong things. Uh, and then I, I, I told him afterward, he's like, oh, no, no, we'll talk about it later. I said, you're a munafiq. I said, you wanna, you're going to make a mistake in front of everybody. You want to make the mistake in public and apologize later? This is not right. And the guy literally, he just avoided me after that, right? And, uh, you know, look, this is, and when I say munafiq, it's not like the guy like woke up in the morning and said, I want to be munafiq today, right? What is it? He obviously felt very emotional about an issue, which wasn't really that big of a deal. It's a big deal to him. I get that. It should be. Everyone should follow the fiqh that makes the most sense to them. You know? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the way deen works is that the aqidah is what we hold in common. The fiqh is not what we hold in common. If everybody went around beating each other up over these issues, you know, there's no more ummah left anymore, right? Uh, um, and so, like I mentioned that to you, whatever you want to do, go ahead, you know, knock yourself out, whoop-de-doo, you know, have a, have a great time, mashallah, nobody's going to like, you know, whatever, I may disagree with you, right, I may say, well, majority of the hadith is there, and the majority of the Muslims have been practicing this, you know, it's one thing if everyone is doing something, but there's no, there's no asal for it, there's no, like, actual, like, proof from the sunnah for it. If there's a proof from the sunnah that might be even interpreted as meaning that and everyone is doing it, then it's very unlikely that, it's far more unlikely at that point that it was just spuriously made up, you know? And at any rate, if you wipe your hands with your face, what, did someone make sajda in front of an idol? Did someone rob a liquor store? Did somebody like, you know, like slap a kid in the face? What, you know, what horrible, like did someone stomp out a puppy on the curb? Like what horrible thing happened that the entire ummah is going to sink that you're going to like these, you know, people take 20 minutes of theirs on like a work night in Sahatatawi in Ramadan in order to go on a tirade about this thing, you know? And then even then fudge that up and like, you know, whatever. Uh, it's silly. It's ridiculous. Really, it's ridiculous. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this is one of the problems that we have in America, and they have it even worse in Europe, which is what, which is when you have people in the masajid that are not learned, you know, there's adab of like knowing what circle certain differences of opinion lie in. There are certain things the person who doesn't say something about him, that person that that those issues is shaitan akhras. That person is like a tongueless shaitan. Okay, but there are certain things just don't say anything, don't mention anything about it. Let people be. Let them do what they're doing. You know. Let them do what they're doing. It's a difference of opinion. The great imams of the ummah didn't agree about it. What are you, you and me going to beat each other up until we agree about it, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a, a type of silliness. But this is dars. Right? Dars is different than the public. In dars, we should explain and talk about these things. People can share their opinion. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Because if you say, well, why are you wasting our time with like such a small thing? You're talking about it right now too. Yeah, cause I'm talking about it because it's dars. Dars is the appropriate place to talk about these things. Uh, um, uh, because the knowledge is important Whatever side of the difference that you fall upon Hearing the other side And hearing your own side, the proofs of it There's always benefit in it, right? But then when you're in the, in the general public And all in sundry And people, all different kind of people are there They're not prepared to hear, listen, understand You know, what's going on um, You know, they're going to come away with what? There's like an entire juz of Quran being read that night some of which is like really important stuff. All they're going to go away with is like, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah's opinion about wiping your face. 
you know, even he himself didn't say it's a kufr or shirk or like, you know, bid'ah or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, it's bid'ah within the da'ir of, of, of khilaf, within the da'ir of, of, of difference of opinion. And by the way, you know, this is one thing, Ibn Taymiyyah is also very wrongly portrayed by a lot of people. And he's maligned by a lot of people because not of who he is, but what he's wrongly portrayed as. We're teaching the madhab, the Maliki madhab right now. Ibn Taymiyyah was a muhaqqiq of the Hanbali madhab. He was, he was a... a, 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 a um, a person who was part of the madhab system. Ibn Taymiyyah has certain opinions of his own that are outside of the Hanbali madhab. But within the madhab, he's murajjah. He says, this is the opinion of the madhab and this is my opinion. Just like, you know, just like in this book right now, the, the Sharah, he says, this is the opinion of, uh, of, of the madhab and this is, um, this is you know, Ibn Naji's opinion and I agree with Ibn Naji, right? But he doesn't just say, this is the Maliki school, you know? Ibn Taymiyyah is like that as well. If the madhab system is bid'ah and kufr and shirk and padaniyah, like other weird stuff everyone throws at it, like it's like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, coronavirus and everything is going to destroy the ummah. And, or, then why would he participate in any of that? Rather, he's from the Ashab al-Tarjih. Like, you know, if there are two different Hanbali shaykhs that, that had a had an opinion and their opinions were different, Ibn Taymiyyah was the one who would look and say, yeah, this one is closer in line with what the school of Imam Ahmad is. And the Hanbalis accepted it from him. And then he would say, this is my opinion about XYZ, and they, many of those opinions they didn't accept. He would say, this is the Hanbali opinion, this is my opinion. Right? So this, it's, you know, these things, the Mashaykh used to discuss them and they used to tolerate them. Why would he, why would he make tahqiq of a madhab that he thought that was bogus, or a madhab which is part of a madhab system that he thought was bogus? Right, because there's benefit in discussing the differences of opinion. Even if you don't agree, you'll learn something from somebody. Uh, as I hope, inshallah, uh, we learn from dars. Babun jami'un fi salah. So this is a a, a, a a chapter in which all sorts of different issues about the salat that don't fall uh, uh, neatly into one of the previously discussed chapters are discussed. There are issues that are one-off that don't fall neatly into, like enough, there's not enough con- content in that one topic to like um, make a separate chapter. So this is like the miscellaneous chapter about Salat. And so this is one of the, 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 the I guess, unique features of the books of the Maliki school is that Malik Rahimullah Ta'ala also has a kitab on jami' and the last, the last part of the Muatta is basically like the hadiths that don't fit into any one particular chapter, you know? So he just brings them all together. Um, and so many of the, many of the uh, Maliki books have a kitab on jami'. This Risala also has the last part of the book is kitab on jami'. It has just all the different masail that are brought together. And so within Salat, he does the same thing as well. So it's bab on jami' and fis salah. It's a bab that gathers all of the kind of stray masail up and discusses them one after the other. أَقَلُّ مَا يُجِئُ الْمَرْأَةَ مِنَ اللِّبَاسِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ الدِّرْعُ الْخَصِيفُ السَّابِغُ الَّذِي يَسْتُرُ ظُهُورَ قَدَمَيْهَا وَهُوَ الْقَمِيسُ وَالْخِمَارُ الْخَصِيفُ So he says that the least, the least amount of clothing that a woman has to pray her salat in is a shirt uh, that stick and that uh, 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 covers the, the whole body uh, all the way uh, and including the tops of her feet. Um, and, and, and so he says that like, you know, one way of doing that would be for a, a, a woman to wear like a long shirt that comes down to her feet and, uh, uh, and then a khimar, like a cloak that, that she wears uh, on top of that, 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 uh, um, that long shirt that the, the face is open with. 
Uh, and so obviously not every woman wears a chimar. Some women wear, you know, like a, a piece of cloth on top of the head. Or some, you know, maybe it's one all one piece. Wallahu alam. But at any rate, the point is that she has to cover her entire body, uh, except for her hands and her face. And it includes the tops of the feet. And in general, this is something that even a man has certain things that he has to cover in his salat. He has to cover them from every direction except from the bottom. From the bottom, if it's open, it's it's forgiven. Uh, but like they should be covered from the top and from the sides. وَرَجُلُوا فِي salati وَيُجْزِرُ رَجُلَ فِي salati ثَوْبٌ وَاحِدٌ And so, and it's sufficient for a man in the prayer that, that they pray in one piece of cloth. Uh, their nakedness is in, from their navel to their knees. Um, so if, even if it's covered by one piece of cloth, um, that's minimally sufficient. It's makruh. If a person can wear another upper garment as well, they, they should, but it's, it, it's, the salat is valid without it. It's makruh if you have it and you don't wear it. If you don't have it, then there's no karaha either, obviously. وَلَا يُغَطِّ أَنفَهُ وَوَجْهَهُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ أَوْ يَضُمُّ ثِيَابَهُ وَيَكْفِتُ شَعْرَهُ Please grab a chair, pull up a seat, inshallah. inshallah. So, uh, um, and it's makru for a man to cover his nose or his mouth or his face in the salat. In that sense, a woman shouldn't cover her face in the salat, but if she does, it's valid, and there may be reasons that she may want to if she feels insecure in a place or whatever. But the, the salat of a woman, also she should have her face exposed while she's praying. Uh, as for a man, it's considered to be makruh for a man to cover his face. Um, there is a, an exemption to this uh, to this hukum, uh, which is uh, except for when it's the common cultural custom of a people to cover their faces. Uh, and the reason this is mentioned, this is mentioned by Ibn Rushd al-Jad, that uh, um, the Murabitin, there was a, a, a tribal confederacy of Berbers who will repel... Uh, the army of the Reconquista from Andalus, from Cordoba and uh, from Cordoba and Seville and from Granada uh, in the 13th century, and uh, they will conquer. Uh, they will conquer uh, most of what's Morocco, Algeria, uh, Tunis, and uh, I don't know about Tunis, but much of Algeria and Morocco, and they'll also uh, conquer uh, much of the Iberian Peninsula. And uh, their custom, their tribal custom as Berbers is that their faces are covered. In fact, uh, um, they, they also ruled much of Mauritania. And the current, the current uh, system of Madaris that the deen is taught through in, in Mauritania it was instituted by them. You know, so you'll see pictures of them, like you know, like if you or you go to Hajj or Umrah or something like that. If you go to Medina Munawar, you'll see the people from that part, from like Niger and from Chad and from, you know, because the Tuaregs are essentially they're Berbers. Also, they speak a Berber language, but they're uh, they're they're uh, darker skinned Berbers. The Berbers are everywhere from from black to like almost like so translucent. You can hold them up to the sun and see the light through them, like you know. Uh, uh, level of white, but uh, they speak one language. They all have like a similar language, and so uh, I shouldn't say one language, but they sp- they're not in- mutually intelligible. But they're derived from uh, from uh, from antiquity, from from one common language, and so um, you'll see that they have their turbans wrapped such that uh, um, most of the face is covered, and only the eyes are only the eyes are are, are exposed. So you'll see someone who's completely covered. Have any of you seen this before? 
Yeah, maybe you see you can look picture. look it up in pictures and stuff yeah. like that. But you see it in Medina and Medina. There's like Medina Munawar, Makkah Mukarrama, except for in Ihram because you have to uncover those things by 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 wujub. But generally, that's how they roll. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. One, I mean, one is their cu- cultural custom. So when they go other places, they they feel comfortable like that as well. But uh, um, in the desert, you have to do that. When there's a windstorm and the sand and things like that, like it literally gets up in your eyes, up in your face, up in your beard, up in your mouth, and things like that. Right. So one can see why. You know why that, that custom would be uh, something that they follow, but you know they still do it. Our mashaykh in Mauritania, many of them still do it. You know, you still like they'll have, they'll just part part of their face will be uh, 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 obscured and part of it will be visible. Uh, but in general, if it's not the custom of your people and it's not the custom of our people, no matter how like you know cool you want to like dress up like Tuareg warrior to like you know uh, uh, it's not it's not our custom. It's makru. You have to expose your face during the salat. Uh, it's also makru for a person to gather their clothes when they're praying or to hold their clothes while they're praying. Um, and it's also... MashaAllah, Zain, As-salamu alaykum. MashaAllah. So uh, it's also makru for a person to gather, hold, or fold their clothes uh, or their hair during the salat, to tie up their hair, particularly for the salat. Um, uh, and this is uh, the hair thing is more for men because women have to cover their hair for the salat anyway. But uh, uh, the reason for this is that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he uh, he once uh, 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 he once uh, saw somebody do this that like you know in order to like have everything together he tied up the clothes and tied up his hair you know for the salat so it's like. Everything is like more controlled, you know. And then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam told him, he said that don't tie your hair up when you pray, and don't uh, tie your clothes up when you pray, uh, because the uh, waving back and forth of the hair and of the prayer is like the, the of the clothes is like the prayer of the clothes and the prayer of the hair. So uh, 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 that's that's where the karaha comes from. Now, for example. Uh, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam forbade people from, for, forbade men in particular, from uh, wearing a, 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 a lower garment that drags below the the the, um, the ankles. Uh, and so, for a person to pull up their lower garment so that the the lower garment is above the ankles, or to roll it up. Uh, doesn't count because that's an issue. There's a difference of opinion, and may, but many of the ulama actually consider it to be a sin. So the thing that's makruh is obviously when put in the scale pans against something that's actually haram. The haram thing takes precedent. Uh, however, uh, um, uh, more than more than that, uh, um, um, the. Uh, uh, the point of the, the, the you know the point of tying up the clothes is what is um, just it's specific for the way the clothes should be worn, right? So if you're wearing them in a way that they're not supposed to be worn, then that doesn't count. There's no sajda and disobedience, and the, huh? Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You shouldn't do that. You should no, leave them open. You should leave them open. You should leave them open. Yeah, yeah. Like, leave them open. To the point where I've seen, I've seen actually many people, many people who have studied read from the ulama and things like that. They'll untuck their shirts as well when they, when they, when they, when they pray for that reason. 
Wallahu a'lam. Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala knows best. And so this is an interesting thing. People will do this. They'll roll up the cuff of their pants when they're praying. Why? Because the thing that's haram outside of the prayer is even worse that you're doing it in the prayer. In the sense that the prayer is even more exp- superlative expression of one's uh, submission to Allah Ta'ala. But, you know, the thing that you wouldn't do in, in the prayer, you shouldn't do outside of the prayer anyway. You know, and this is a rule. People shouldn't dress outside of the prayer in a way that they would feel embarrassed to come to the prayer. People shouldn't act outside of the prayer in a way that they would be embarrassed to act inside of the prayer. You know, uh, um, so many like, yeah. like, for example, like if this was like zip, like, like, like if I come to slow this zip, so do that unzip it or like. Well, this, yeah. just you wear the thing. The point is, you wear your clothes the way that you would normally wear yeah. them, and you shouldn't tie them up for the prayer. Oh, okay. I think that's the minimal. And at any rate, it's not a halal haram issue, but it's from the mutamimat, from the per- perfections of the prayer, that a person should wear their, wear their clothing and their hair open. Yeah. وَكُلُّ <laughs> ثُمَّ يَتَشَهَّدُ وَيُسَلِّمْ وَقِيلَ لَا يُعِيدُ التَّشَهُّدَ So there is a uh, uh, transmission in the riwayah with regards to the sajdat sahu. If a person forgets something in the prayer or does something out of forgetfulness in the prayer, it's narrated that the Prophet would pray would add two extra sajdas, prostrations to the prayer. And there's a narration that it's before the salam and after the salam. And so the Hanafis accept the, the, the narration about it being after the salam. And the Shafi'is accept it as being before the salam, being more uh, correct. Abu Malik rahimahullah ta'ala, on top of the whole Amal Ahlul Madina argument, right? He said, look, both of them are reliably accurate, and accurately transmitted from the Prophet wasallam. So he's obviously doing both. You're not going to say that one of them is transmitted by liars because the same people transmitting oftentimes in one case, transmitting one set of athar, the same ones transmitting the second set. Um, and so uh, he considered, he said that the, 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 the mistake in the prayer can happen through omission or commission. You're either doing something you weren't supposed to be doing or you're skipping something that you were not supposed to skip. So he said that, that the, the arkan, the farther part of the prayers, and the uh, sunnah mu'akkada, the uh, rigorously emphasized sunnahs. If you add either of them to the prayer excessively, like you pray an extra rakah, or you make an extra sajda, or you like make an extra tashahud, or something like that, the, the, the forgetfulness of, of, of extra, the sajda sahu for it is after the salat. Because it is like a toba for the forgetfulness, but it's not actually part of the slot. Okay, the 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 forgetfulness of skipping something or missing something. If it's for a rukun, if it's for a far part of the prayer, the prayer has to be repeated. Why? Because rukun, the point meaning of rukun is like a foundation. If the foundation isn't there, the building collapses. Right. So if a person forgets an entire rakah or they forget the a sajda or they forget a ruku or something like that, if you remember during the prayer, you add, you add it in. If you don't, the prayer is invalid. Are they giving the adhan or just screaming? Allahu Akbar, 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 Allahu Allahu Akbar, 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 Allahu Akbar,
their kids are allowed sometimes. You can't tell, you know. So the uh, uh, if you add a, a ruk, uh, sorry, if you omit a rukun and you don't add it before the salam, then the prayer is not valid. However, if you add a sun, or if, if you miss a sunnah mu'akkada, a rigorously emphasized sunnah right there. Remember we we mentioned in the nazam, there's eight of them. There's two scenes, which is sir and surah, that the quiet prayer should be prayed quietly and that you should read a surah after the fatiha. And the two sheens are the two tashahuds. And the jeems are uh, uh, the jahr, uh, that the loud prayer should be read out loud. Well, jalsa, that you should sit for the for the tashahud as well. The jalsa is a separate sunnah mu'akkada and the tashahud is a separate sunnah mu'akkada. Um, and the ta'ani is the takbir and the tasmi' that you should say the takbirat of intiqal, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. All of them in aggregate make one sunnah mu'akkada. Uh, um, that uh, if a person omits any of these, um, then they should make sajda for the omission before the salam. Why? Because there's something from the prayer which is deficient. So you add something to the prayer to make up for it. So this is the madhab of Malik, unlike the other madhab. The other madhab either say qabl or ba'd. You know, that you, the sajda can be either before or after. Malik was the one who said, no, the, the one that's a deficiency in the prayer, you make sajda for it before the salam because the, the, the sajda is basically shoring up the prayer from a missed. And the, 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 the forgetfulness of addition you make the sajda for it afterward because the prayer is complete. You just added extra stuff to it. And so the two sajdas happen afterward as a, as a uh, 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 seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An extra act of worship that you seek forgiveness from Allah ta'ala for having forgotten. Like, 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 like if you like forget like what rakah you're on, like you're on the third or fourth. Or like. He'll get to all that. All right. Oh yeah. It's a long chapter. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the person, what does a person do if they did both? I accidentally omitted a sunnah mu'akkada, but I also like added like an extra sajda or something, right? So in that case, then the person will, will make the sajda before the salam. Because the extra part of the prayer that you brought is not actually part of the prayer and it won't make up for the, for the nuqsan, for, the, for, for, for what was missing. So you'll make the sajda in, before the salam. However, uh, you know, both of them you'll get like, you know, you'll get like two for the price of one. You'll rectify both of them in the same action. وَإِنْ بَعُدَ بْتَدَأَ صَلَاتَهُ إِلَّا أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكَ مِنْ نَقْسِ شَيْءٍ خَفِيفٍ كَسُورَةٍ مَعَ أُمِّ الْقُرْآنِ أو تَكْبِيرَتَيْنِ أو التَّشَهُدَيْنِ وَشِبْهِ ذَلِكَ فَلَا شَيْءَ عَلَيْهِ So a person who forgets, this also happens, oftentimes a person will forget that they forgot something, and they'll be like, oh shoot, I forgot something. And then when they say salam, they also forget to make the sajda sahu. So the rule for the two sajdas, the forgetful and sajdas is different. If it's the one that's after the salam, then whenever you remember, if you remember 30 years ago, oh, I was in ICC when I was a young man and I forgot to make sajdas, then just do it over there. Why? Because it's a separate act of worship from the salam. 
Where's the Sajda Sahu? It's the Sajda Sahu, which is uh, from, from omission. If you remember like within like a minute or two or like before getting up and leaving, then you can do it. Otherwise, the, the opportunity is gone. The opportunity is gone. Now, in this sense, there is a, uh, 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 there is a rule in the madhab that a person who misses more than two more than two, uh, uh, what you call, um, uh, sunnah mu'akkadas, if they forget the sajda sahu, it's recommended for them, and in one opinion, it's required for, for them to repeat the prayer. Whereas if you forget, if, for them to repeat the prayer, if they forget the sajda sahu, so you forget like to read the surah after the fatiha both times, you know? Or you forget the, both tashahuds. Why? Because the tashahud is one sunnah mu'akkadah and the jalsa, the sitting for the tashahud is a separate one as well. Right? For the, for the surah, the recitation of the surah is one of the sunnahs and it being loud or quiet is another one of them. Right? So uh, in that case, if you catch it and you make the sajda sahu for it, then the prayer is rectified. If you forget the sajda sahu as well, after when you remember, you know, the prayer is considered deficient enough that it's still valid. But it's deficient enough that a person should repeat it because they're missing, uh, they're missing the benefit that they should be getting from the prayer by that level of forgetfulness. Uh, although one cannot definitely say that they haven't prayed, right? Because remember we said this from, from, from the usuli point of view, there are three different, there are three different sifat uh, uh, of every action. One is, is, is it valid or, uh, is it, is it uh, 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 valid or not? Meaning does it uh, relieve the person who's responsible of doing the act from their responsibility. Are they liable for punishment for having missed it? That's one thing. The second is, is it going to be rewarded or not? So there can be an act that's valid, but it's worthy of no reward. And the third is, is it going to be accepted or not? The first two have to do with fiqh. The third one has to do with a secret that's in the heart of the person who's doing that act of worship. You can do it in outward form in a perfect way, but if the, what's inside the heart is, is, is fouled, uh, Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala only accepts from the one who fears for, from the one who fears him the one who doesn't uh, uh, do it with sincerity or whatever but that's not a legal issue right that's that's a Sufic matter you sit in your whatever halaqat of dhikr and things like that and talk about those things that's not necessarily strictly speaking what we're talking about in, 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 in fiqh class right but in the fiqh class um, uh, you know, the point is, is this is that, that if you miss two or more uh, sunnah mu'akkadahs and you don't make, even make the sajda sahu for it in time, then it's, the prayer should be repeated because the way it was performed, it may, it may be, according to one opinion, valid. So you're not going to be punished for having skipped the, the, the prayer. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, the, uh, uh, um, the uh, um, prayer is... Uh, um, uh, is something that, that, that you're not going to get much benefit out of. You know, you just did the bare minimum in order to excuse yourself from, from its responsibility. You don't actually get rewarded for it. And if it's something that's so deficient, the Lord knows if it's going to be accepted or not. You know? So, uh, وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَى رَسُولِهِ سَيْنَ مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ